It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 70 of the Night Talker at 1045, where are we at in society? Well, because we are in the middle of boat season here in Central Texas, I apparently need to give a PSA on a new social media challenge that is literally causing young people to jump to their deaths. At 10.30, looks like Jay Monahan isn't the only hypocritical scumbag on the PGA side and their dealings with the Saudis. At 10.15, that Alabama baseball coach got fired for illegally gambling because someone broke the first, second, and third rule of gambling with insider info. And coming up this segment, Big 12 Media Days kick off tomorrow, so we are talking some Longhorn football. I am your host, Trey Elling. Give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Big 12 Media Days commence tomorrow in, I say Dallas, technically it's Jerry World in Arlington, AT&T Stadium. It'll be two days chock full of fun conversations with Brett Yormark, the conference commissioner of the Big 12, of course, and plenty of players and coaches along the way. Four new members of the Big 12 this year, bringing that total number to 14. Two members, Texas and Oklahoma, of course, who are participating in their last Big 12 media days, with Oklahoma arriving on Thursday and Texas taking part tomorrow. I won't know for sure one way or the other, but hopefully I will bring you some Longhorn conversations as a major part of tomorrow night's show. This is an exciting time of year for me. I believe this is my fourth Big 12 Media Days to cover, and you never know what you're going to get. But typically, it does involve getting to speak with interesting newsmakers from this conference. And it is a fascinating year for this conference as they are about to look drastically different really tomorrow with the four new members, BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston, of course. But also because of the fanfare surrounding Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC. And does the Big 12 make another move after that? I think at this point, they have set themselves up as the third strongest conference in college football. And that does mean something, by the way. Because even though they are pretty far behind the SEC and Big 10, just in terms of talent from top to bottom and blue-blooded programs, if we're being completely honest about things, there is some jockeying going on right now between... The Big 12, the ACC, which does still have Clemson, of course. And then also, the Pac-12 limping its way along. And the Big 12 has done a great job under Brett Yormark's vision and actions of setting themselves up nicely for this next era of college football. That does, of course, include an expanded college football playoff. So because we are so close to Big 12 Media Days, I thought it would be a good idea to talk a little Texas Longhorn football. Specifically, CBS Sports releasing its Power 5 and Conference 
coaching rankings heading into the 2023 season. Maybe asking yourself if you're a Longhorn fan. Hearing such a list exists. Cool. Where is Steve Sarkeesian? Well, at the national level, he's the number 37, 37th best coach in the country, which I start to object to, but I also realize that he doesn't have a ton of skins on the wall in his time at Washington, USC, and now Texas. And CBS Sports has this to say about his 37th ranking. It remains to be seen if Starkeesian's tenure on the 40 acres will be a success. The Longhorns improved from a 5-7 and seven mess in 2021 debut to an 8-5 and five finish in 2022. But that's far from reaching the threshold of Texas being back. Ah, there it is. Sarkeesian is 59-47 and 47 all-time as a college coach and has yet to win more than nine games in a season. A marquee hit at USC in 2014. So where does that leave him in the Big 12? Where is he ranked amongst Big 12 coaches right now? Well, he's very much middle of the pack. TCU's Sonny Dykes earned the top spot, understandably, I guess, after getting the Horn Frogs to the national championship game last year where they got curb stomped. But that may have been a flash in the pan for Sonny Dykes too. Look, he's a better head coach, I guess, at this level than I was giving him credit for when TCU hired him away from SMU. But I think there's going to be a big reality check for TCU this year because they lost so much, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Chris Kleiman comes in as the second best coach in the conference, and I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Chris Kleiman is a great coach, and I think he does belong somewhere in the top three, and I think he could argue for any of those top three spots, including that number one spot. Mike Gundy comes in at number three with Oklahoma State, despite the fact that they had a really disappointing season last year, finishing seven and six. Lance Leopold. And Dave Aranda coming at four and five. While Gus Malzahn, the new guy at UCF, he's at number six. And Matt Campbell is at number seven. So Steve Sarkeesian comes in at number eight as best coaches in the Big 12, which is the best of the bottom half of the coaches in the Big 12, according to CBS Sports. What do you think, Longhorn fans? Think Steve Sarkeesian has. A real opportunity to move himself up in these meaningless rankings, by the way. They mean nothing, but they are providing good fodder for this radio show right now. So thanks for that, I guess. But he's got a great opportunity this year. By all accounts, Quinn Ewers has taken a major step forward. Yeah, we laugh about him cutting the mullet, but he is in much better shape. And seems to be doing much more to assert himself as the leader of this football team to go along with the fact that... He has a slew of weapons to throw the football to. An offensive line that looks to continue to take positive steps forward with returning experience all over the line, including getting both your starting tackles back and that freshman All-American Kelvin Banks, a likely future top 10 or top 5 pick in the NFL draft. And even though the defense does lose some key pieces, as does the Texas offense, obviously uh, saying goodbye to B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson isn't great, 
but you feel good about the running back options back there right now, especially if Jonathan Brooks can get back to 100%. And defensively, even though they lost some guys too, uh, it's getting close to that point where they are replacing blue chip talent with more blue chip talent. And that's what's going on right now. Who's going to replace DeMarvion Overshone's playmaking abilities? Maybe it's a by-committee deal, including true freshman Anthony Hill, a secondary that looks loaded, maybe the best in the Big 12, and they have a bunch of big, talented bodies on that defensive line too. So my hope as a Longhorn fan, your hope, if you're listening right now as a Longhorn fan, is that Steve Sarkeesian can buck the unfortunate trends that are in place with him as a head coach. I say at the Power 5 level, that's his only head coaching experience is the Power 5 level, Washington, USC, and now Texas. But to buck the trends that specifically have to do with how bad he is on the road in conference play and also how subpar he is against top 25 competition. It's been pointed out numerous times by now, but he loses two out of every three games in each of those situations. That needs to change this year for him to get over that proverbial hump and find himself in the top half of coaches being ranked at the SEC level heading into the 2024 season. Yeah, it gets real serious real fast with Texas. So this needs to be a major ramp-up year for how much more difficult things become a season from now. All right, coming up, remember that Alabama baseball coach who got fired for betting on his own games? Yeah, well, somebody really screwed him in the process. He screwed himself, but somebody else screwed him too because they broke the first, second, and third rule of gambling with insider info. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Alabama baseball coach Brad Bohannon was fired earlier this most recent season in large part because he was providing insider info to someone who was betting on Alabama games. And now we have more information as to what exactly happened surrounding an April 28th game between Alabama and LSU. Got to give credit to Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated who did a good job of tracking down several sources and learning some really interesting details about the investigation. So all this has to do with not only former Alabama baseball coach Brad Bohannon, but a guy named Bert Eugene Neff, who is the father of a University of Cincinnati baseball player. And it was his bets that triggered alerts regarding suspicious activity when he bet on that April 28th game between Alabama and LSU. So the first mistake, and this isn't the first rule of betting with insider info, but this is a mistake. He tried to place a $100,000 wager on that game at the BetMGM Sportsbook inside Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. Here's the problem, though. You can't bet a huge amount like that 
with an otherwise pretty meaningless college baseball game at the end of April that doesn't have a whole lot of gambling traffic. That raises a colossal red flag. But unfortunately, Neff, after deciding to place this wager, goes on to do something much more stupid and something that you have to consider in that fight club set of rules that you just cannot do. Now, in Fight Club, of course, it's don't talk about Fight Club, rules one and two. The first three rules of betting with insider info, Neff, you don't talk about the fact that you have inside information with anybody, but much less those taking the ticket. That's right, according to 40. Neff told the ticket riders that the reason he wanted to bet $100,000 in the game is that he had inside information. He was also texting with Bohannon at the time on Signal, which is an encrypted messaging app. So the sports book, because they have surveillance technology that would make the U.S. military blush, they go to the cameras. They go to the replay. They were actually able to zoom in on Neff's phone and see the details of the text conversation that he was having with Bohannon. A source told 40, the video cameras can see the text conversation back and forth. It couldn't have been any more reckless. So what was the inside information that led him to placing $100,000 not on Alabama, but on LSU? Well, Bama had to scratch their ace starting pitcher, Luke Holman, due to back tightness. Hadn't been released to the public. And they were starting a guy named Hagen Banks in his place who had not started a game in weeks. And this is the information that Bohannon gave to Neff before it was made public. So he gave him a head start on running the sports book and doing what any sane person would do knowing that sort of information. Interestingly... And I don't think it matters that much, honestly. If you're providing insider information like that for the sake of somebody making a huge sum of money, you probably need to be done. But it is unclear whether Bohannon actually wagered on the game too. Maybe he didn't officially wager on the game, but you have no idea how Neff was going to split those winnings up. But he definitely knew, Bohannon that is, that Neff was placing bets on LSU. And he was also part of an ongoing text chain with Bohannon. And Bohannon was also in touch with some of Neff's gambling associates also. Bohannon, of course, was ultimately fired on May 4th over the matter. Didn't realize this until reading this Larry Brown sports story, but a couple of staffers on Cincy's baseball team, remember Neff is the father of a player on Cincy's baseball team, were also fired in May for not reporting their knowledge of Neff's wagering. But that is pretty incredible. For you to be so socially obtuse that you think it's a good idea to brag to the person taking a large wager that you're putting on a game that otherwise has very little activity that you're doing so with insider information. 
I mean, that is next level stupid right there. I don't necessarily describe this next guy as next level stupid. He is a complete scumbag and creep and criminal and sexual assaulter. And he is going to be rotting in jail for the rest of his life. Larry Nasser, who was convicted of sexually abusing female gymnasts over the course of decades, he is a predator in the truest sense of the word. Well, he's spending his remaining days incarcerated at the U.S. Penitentiary Coleman in Florida. And there was an altercation there on Sunday that left Nasser in a pretty serious condition in terms of his overall health. The situation is that there was a prison shank, and that prison shank got Larry Nasser 10 times, at least twice in the neck. Source with knowledge of the details described the attack to ESPN. The AP actually first reported on the attack on Monday. Two people familiar with the incident but not authorized to publicly discuss it told the AP that Nasser was in stable condition Monday after being stabbed in the back and chest and obviously the neck too. ESPN reached out to the Federal Bureau of Prisons and they actually cited security concerns and not confirming the identity or health condition of any inmate but noted, quote, we can confirm on Sunday, July 9, 2023, At approximately 2.35 p.m., an inmate was assaulted at the U.S. Penitentiary Coleman II in Sumterville, Florida. Responding staff immediately initiated life-saving measures. Staff requested emergency medical services and life-saving efforts continued. The inmate was transported by EMS to a local hospital for further treatment and evaluation. No other staff or inmates were injured. And the FBI has been notified of the incident. So, Nasser, who is now a year shy of 60, was sentenced to 60 years in jail in 2017 on child porn charges. In 2018, he was sentenced to an additional 40 to 175 years in prison for sexually assaulting gymnasts. And not that it matters, but it did include Olympic medalists. He received an additional 40 to 125 years later in 2018 after pleading guilty to additional counts of sexual assault in Eaton County, Michigan. Just one problem if you're a despicable sexual assaulter like this, though, Nasser. You're not going to be safe anywhere you go, and it's, well, it's karma. See, he was originally sent to prison in Tucson, Arizona, but he was attacked shortly after being released into the general population. So he was transferred to another maximum security federal prison 90 minutes from Tampa. And now after this most recent attack that saw him stabbed 10 times, 
He's going to have to be transferred once again. I don't necessarily feel happy about this, but I don't feel sad either. Like I said, it's karma. And human suffering is human suffering, but when we're talking about somebody that has inflicted such deep physical, sexual, and psychological harm to young girls and young women who trusted him medically to do the right thing. Yeah, it's about as close as I can come to feeling some sense of joy over someone suffering so heinously. But this is the reality that you've created for yourself by being a predator, Nasser. Quick reminder before we hit the commercial break that the show will be at Jerry World the next couple of days for Big 12 Media Days. That does include hopefully having some conversations with Coach Sarkeesian and some of the Texas players who will be at AT AT&T Stadium representing the Longhorns tomorrow. Seven schools tomorrow, seven on Thursday. Oklahoma will be part of that Thursday group, and hopefully we will be bringing you some interesting conversations along the way. Coming up next, uh, he's maybe not as big of a scumbag as Nasser, but Jay Monahan has taken off the burqa and is showing his face in public once again, and we have some interesting revelations with regards to some other scumbags on the PGA side as it pertains to this deal with the Saudis. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. After a couple weeks away from the public light that coincided with one of the four major championships that the PGA Tour takes a part in, Commissioner Jay Monahan is resuming his role on July 17th. So coming up next week. This after taking a leave in June due to a medical situation that we can only assume because of the vague nature of its description that it is something akin to the Saudi flu. It was last month that Monaghan informed the PGA Tour that he would be temporarily stepping away while recovering. And... In a statement, he says he has, with the support of his family and world-class medical care. His health has improved dramatically. What a miracle, Jay Monahan! I know in the story Pinocchio, Pinocchio's nose grew longer every time he was caught in a lie. Something like that happened with Jay Monahan, except like it made him feel more nauseous, sicker with himself. For the BS that he was having to peddle to make himself seem like a human and something other than a complete hypocrite without he's gone about slamming the live golf tour for taking blood money, that blood money from the Saudis and how upset 9-11 families would be for them doing such things before we learned all this while he was 
trying to make deals himself and explaining these billion-dollar projects that have a chance to make the Saudis even more money in the process. Yeah, because that's what's happening. And that's what was happening. But now he's going to be back in the public eye, so all is well. Congratulations on no longer being sick with yourself, Monahan. Now, interestingly, we are learning more about just how this deal came to be because Congress is investigating the Saudi Public Investment Fund and the PGA Tour merger. The negotiations of this business deal involved a number of interesting things that includes ousting Live Chief Executive Greg Norman and also giving Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy their own Live Golf teams. That's right. Even though it's been sworn up and down since this deal was announced that it's not a merger between Live Golf and the PGA, it kind of is. And much more importantly, it is about the financing of the Live Golf Tour that the PGA is now happily stuffing into their pockets. I say happily. There are plenty of players who are ticked off because they were completely deceived in the process by Monaghan and apparently others too. These documents were released earlier today in a hearing chaired by Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut. The subcommittee is seeking to determine how the investment in golf by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund aligns with the kingdom's geopolitical interests. A lot of people refer to this as sports washing, where the Saudis are trying to get people to forget about some of the atrocities that the government has committed over time by investing heavily in the sports teams and sports organizations that people around the world love. Documents released Tuesday detail the roles of people on the Saudi side of negotiations, including Amanda Staveley, a British investment banker who helped broker a deal between the Saudis and Newcastle United, which the PIF now owns a major stake in. That's in the English League of uh, English Premier League, of course, as well as some others. But the part that folks will probably be the most interested in is a memo from Stavely's firm titled The Best of Both Worlds, which includes a proposal that Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy would take ownership of live teams and that each of them would play 10 live events per year. Now, while that in and of itself doesn't necessarily prove that either Tiger or Rory knew what was going on, it doesn't, as a matter of fact, for those wondering, there is something else that at least let us in on the fact that Rory McIlroy knew a whole lot more than he was letting on. These documents also suggested that McIlroy met with Yasser Al-Ramayan, the governor of Saudi Arabia's Sovereign Wealth Fund in Dubai in November. McElroy, of course, has not publicly disclosed this meeting. 
So there's a good chance that Rory McIlroy knew exactly what was happening this entire time, even if plenty of others around him, players that is, did not. Now how about Greg Norman, who clearly the PGA Tour does not care to have as part of their business dealings in any capacity. Well, a May 25th side letter to the framework of the agreement in place at the time proposed by the PGA Tour called for Greg Norman and Performance 54, which is a London-based marketing consultant group that took control of the Lib Golf League's management this season, to step down once the proposed partnership is finalized. It's unknown whether this side agreement was ever executed. Although Greg Norman has been pushed pretty far to the side at this point since the announcement of this deal. Monahan actually drafted the talking points for the policy board while announcing the deal and noted that Norman would be assigned to an advisory role determined by the PIF when the PGA Tour becomes the manager of the Live Tour. And that's the key part of this. Norman is of little consequence here. Monahan said himself, when the PGA Tour becomes the manager of the Live Tour. Now, you can maybe argue semantics and say, well, by managing it, that doesn't necessarily mean they're merging. Yes, it does. Even if it's to fold the Live Golf Tour. Monahan is acknowledging that the PGA is going to take over the Live Tour. And the fact that they also suggested Tiger and Rory each have teams and compete in 10 events a year is another piece of evidence of just how shamelessly Jay Monahan has lied about all of this. And he deserves zero sympathy, including for likely faking an illness last month to avoid having to show his face at the U.S. Open since you damn well know, who cares about the fans, by the way, most of the players probably don't want to see that guy. Most of the players, figuratively speaking, of course, would probably want to take a nine iron to his face because of how despicable he's been. Going back several months, if not an entire year, all while leading people to believe the sanctimonious stance that he was taking at the time, while figuring out the best way to line his pockets with that Saudi public investment fund money. And congratulations to him because he's done that. Despite the fact that he makes north of $8 million per year as the PGA Tour Commissioner, that's not enough for you, Jay, to go along with whatever else you're skimming off the top on the side of all these deals that you're making. Got to have more now, huh? Well, congratulations. Because you're in a bit of a Greg Norman role now, where you are seen as important to the Saudis and what they're doing in the future with the PGA and golf in general, but you are more easily disposable than you realize right now, too. I truly feel for the guys on the PGA Tour who declined this money going back a year and a half, two years, whatever it was, thinking that the PGA had their backs when the reality is is the PGA, maybe not from the beginning, but going pretty far back, had plans to take that money too. And those dudes could have signed themselves up for generational wealth. 
the amount that certain dudes were making to join the Live Golf Tour has set them up for life whether or not they ever win another golf tournament. And that sure as heck takes a lot of pressure off of that grind. Now, as far as that Live Golf Tour goes, a Live official did tell ESPN that it was the league's understanding that the side letter, that letter with the PGA suggesting that they take over managing the Live Golf Tour once the deal was announced, it actually wasn't signed. And that public investment fund officials rejected the idea of removing Norman and Performance 54. But again, Greg Norman has been pretty absent from things since the deal was announced. And so here we are with the U.S. Department of Justice Antitrust Division and the U.S. Senate scrutinizing this deal to see just how legal it is or if it's something that never comes to fruition. Because there's just a strange level of shadiness to it all. By the way, Adam Silver apparently addressed the possibility of a live-style takeover in the NBA. He says he doesn't foresee that happening. Actually, what he says is it's not going to happen on his watch for the foreseeable future. If that's the case, great. If it's not, well, we'll see what that means. Foreseeable future is somewhat ambiguous. All right, coming up, and where are we at in society? Got to give you people, got to give you people a warning about the latest stupid viral TikTok challenge that is literally costing young people their lives. Proving good things do happen on the radio after 10 p.m. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Final segment of tonight's show means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your nightly look at stories that show we as a people are headed in a bad direction. Very occasionally, I will give you a story that provides a sense of optimism that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are getting it right. All is not lost. Perhaps there is hope in the impending war between man and machine. But tonight is not that night. Unfortunately, more stupid news stories to bring you tonight. Starting with the latest viral TikTok challenge. These things rarely go well. And unfortunately, the most recent one, or one of the most recent ones, I know these things change very quickly in this age of social media, but there is a challenge that has been attempted repeatedly in Alabama that has caused at least four people to die that has public health officials pleading to young people to not engage. At least four people have died in Alabama attempting a TikTok challenge where people leap off of moving boats and hit the water. Captain Jim Dennis of the Childersburg Rescue Squad told NBC News that four people died in the state over the last six months after jumping out of moving boats. Quote, the four people that we responded to when they jumped out of the boat, they literally broke their neck. And you know, it's basically instant death. 
Now, while the stunt is not new, with videos posted of people jumping out of moving boats since 2020, more people are trying the challenge now as they're out on the water during the summer months. Experts also weighed in on the matter to the Today Show. You can wind up with broken bones, a broken neck, or you could end up running into the propeller of your own boat. That'd be a pretty bad jump there if you're running into the propeller of your own boat. Or another boat could run you over, and that would cause a lot of damage, if not death. Gail Culp, the executive director of the CETO Foundation says that hitting the water from a moving boat is like hitting concrete from jumping multiple stories up. I never realized that. Doesn't sound fun. Experts added that wearing a life jacket while jumping out of a boat would not be able to prevent serious injuries or death. And the only way to be safe is to not try the stunt. TikTok, in response to this, has added warnings on some of its videos that note, quote, participating in this activity could result in you or others getting hurt. Ah, the old jackass warning. TikTok also claims that it's not accurate to characterize or report this as a TikTok challenge. They can't comment on something that isn't a trend on our platform. Other social media challenges have caused harm or even taken lives, including the Skull Breaker Challenge the hell is wrong with people you're literally participating in something called the skull breaker challenge where one tiktoker said she had to get surgery after she stood in line with her friends who kicked out her legs from under her causing her to crash on the floor good lord how about the salt and ice challenge where users are reporting getting second degree burns after putting salt and ice directly onto their bare skin TikTok was also asked about these challenges. And they pointed NBC News to their community guidelines, which states, we do not allow showing or promoting dangerous activities and challenges. And advising, if you see a dangerous activity or challenge, pause for a moment to stop and think before you decide and act. Now there is a little bit of, uh, only the strong survive to these TikTok challenges, unfortunately. But we're also at a point where there are a lot of stupid, impressionable kids who are going to try and do things to not just impress one another, but a bunch of complete strangers on the platform. And getting a bunch of likes or follows or whatever the popular signal is these days that causes that dopamine rush in your brain. We're all about that. Most of us, anyhow. Those of us who are on social media... Who knows how good it feels to get that extra like or retweet. And the other side of that coin too, which is just spending obnoxious amounts of time on these platforms, just wasting away. And engaging quite often with bots. That is non-humans who are posting inflammatory things to keep you engaged on the platform. But the TikTok challenges is... Sadly, in a lot of ways, as bad as it gets. Because it's completely stupid, and sometimes it's very harmful, too, as we've just heard examples of. You know who Nick Castellanos is? He is 
an outfielder for the Philadelphia Phillies, if I'm remembering correctly. I know he plays for the Phillies. I just don't remember if he's still an outfielder or maybe they've shifted him to first base now. Well, he was interviewed recently about Scooby-Doo. Apparently, he's a big Scooby-Doo guy. And Nick Castellanos was recently asked about Scooby-Doo, and he made the argument that Scooby-Doo is a superhero. He actually says that Scooby-Doo is his favorite superhero. And he was asked about this by Noah Chast of KTVZ. Everyone was asked their favorite superheroes. Yeah. You said Scooby-Doo. Sure. I, I didn't realize Scooby-Doo was a superhero. Can you kind of explain his superhero lore? I mean, well, first off, he's a dog, right? And he can talk. Fair enough. Okay. And, and he saves, he's, he's, he solves mysteries. So I think that a dog that can talk and helps people by saving, by solving mysteries, I think is a superhero. Checks off all the superhero boxes, has special skills, and he helps people. Correct. Okay, so... Cassiano's his answer is, well, first off, he's a dog and he can talk. He literally stops and just looks at this reporter. And then he eventually has to start talking again because he loses the game of uh, (laughs) staring contest chicken, I guess. But he does have a little bit of a point there. Scooby-Doo is a dog and he can talk. I mean, that alone might qualify him as a superhero because he does have superpowers. Although his English isn't totally clear. He speaks his English with a very dog accent. He does also help solve mysteries and save people's lives in the process. So there you go. Superhero? I don't know if Scooby-Doo's a superhero. I think he just might be a a uh, figment of his buddy Shaggy's imagination. Shaggy, who is clearly smoking copious amounts of weed and likely engaging in other illicit activities probably having to do with psychedelic drugs if we're really talking about a dog that can talk and is helping you solve mysteries. But Nick Castellanos is Scooby-Doo is legit, says he's his favorite superhero. Gotta give it credit for creativity if nothing else, you know? I have said for a long time that... I would be okay with all performance-enhancing drugs legalized in professional sports. It's an unpopular take. I understand that. It's reckless. But if you legalize everything, then all of a sudden you take away the ability to cheat. And in a way, you might bring a lot of this research and science above the table where guys aren't ingesting things that are going to be extremely harmful for them. Or if they do, they have a better grasp of those inherent risks. Well, somebody in Australia believes with me. That's because Aaron D'Souza, who is an entrepreneur in Australia, he wants to remake the Olympics. Starting with renaming them the Enhanced Games which would be 
a drug test-free sporting event that aims to reward a new, quote, roided-up class of athletes. And it's not a joke. D'Souza is president and founder of Enhanced Games, as well as the legal mind behind Peter Thiel's takedown of Gawker. He's actually been hyping up his plans to host the first event in 2024. He told the London Guardian that he had two famous athletes on board, but he has not said who just yet. His roid games will include five categories, track and field, swimming, weightlifting, gymnastics, and combat sports. Enhanced Games says it's fighting a battle for the soul of sports. The event's website accuses traditional athletic competitors like the Olympics of being anti-science and shaming enhanced athletes. So what do you think? You on board with the Enhanced Games? This is for our entertainment after all. And wouldn't you like to see everybody being able to maximize their physical potential? I know you say it's illegal now, but there are all sorts of concoctions that people take to help them perform. There's just certain concoctions they're not allowed to because it helps too much. What if we erase those rules? All right, that's it for another show. Thank you so much for listening. Join me tomorrow and Thursday. I will be at Big 12 Media Days in Jerry World in Arlington. In the meantime, have yourself a great rest of the night and sweet dreams. Proving good things do happen on the radio after 10 p.m. It's the Night Talker with Trey Ellis.